just before we, I was out running in the snow down on the end of Dollymount Beach this morning, just kind of managed to get away from the crowds, but it was uh, peaceful down there and the snow was belting down. It was hardly see in front, but it was just uh, the likes of Pat Hooper and Jerry came into my, my mind, you know, just thinking of all them miles they ran and, you know, the love for it. And I was just, you know, it was one of them moments just being out there running, nobody around and the snow all around, you know, and you kind of just, uh, yeah, it was a nice kind of touch, you know, of all, all them miles that didn't cover them. As Pat used to say, no such thing as bad weather, only weak men. like that song but there's a great line in that over futile odds and laughed at by the gods and now the final frame love, love is a losing game I always liked that kind of line because I think it sums up a lot of the runners because I think really trying to make it as a runner is a lot like the sentiments expressed in that song in terms of the chances are you're going to lose and it's much like I suppose getting into a relationship is the chances are it's going to eventually go wrong and you're going to end up disappointed and hurt by the whole thing but you do it anyway for the chance that it works and the chance that it's a dream and stuff and uh, my coach Willie Logan when I was a teenager once said to me like that running is 95% disappointment and he used to always say that um, and I think as time went on I learned the truth in that but the implication was always that you do the whole thing and you go through all the shit for the 5%. And I had my first major injury when I was about 16, I suppose. I was kind of doing well in schools events. And then I, I tore the insertion of my hamstring. It kept me out for almost a year and was a bastard of an injury. And then I eventually got back from that and through college again, I had a kind of good year as a junior and um, made a couple of European cross country teams, things like that. Never really strung together a track season, so my PBs are absolutely pathetic um, in terms of health when I was like 18, 19. But then between the ages of like 19 and 25, I was basically nonstop injured in terms of I'd be healthy for a month or two, and then I'd be injured for two or three months with a new thing. Three stress fractures, I had hip impingements, I had knee problems, SI joint problems, you name it, I pretty much had it. And uh, then when I was about 25, I kind of got over chronic overtraining syndrome. I came back after like a a stomach bug and I did a session and I woke up floored then a few days later and basically the fatigue didn't leave me for about a year I would say and that left permanent damage in terms of I still can't do hard aerobic training at all or I'm goose uh, it screws my system that's like 10 years nine years on from it and um, but I can still do easy runs and stuff like that and the odd sort of short sprints and stuff so like I suppose for those years <laughs> that song by Amy Winehouse expressed the sentiments in terms of my attitude to running which was that it's a losing game and which I was one of the people who many people who tried to be good at it and failed to be good at it as a senior in terms of things didn't go my way with injuries and health and the rest of it but I, I could I could look back though and say I tried my very best like you know obviously look back and with the wisdom of experience there's things you do differently but like I was you know going to strength conditioning specialists I was going to Jared Hartman like for injury treatments and some of the best doctors in Ireland and stuff and I, I could look back and I think really once you can look back without regrets you'll be you'll be content in yourself and I, I'm content in myself that when I look back on what I was as a runner I I didn't there's not much I do differently and it's, it wasn't for want of trying I could say that I didn't make it my body just just I maybe had the talent in terms of muscles and lungs and things like that and probably commitment I think I probably had those areas to be pretty good at it as a distance runner, but the big element you need as a distance runner is durability. And I, my body, I kind of learned very quickly once I started progressing up the training levels um, as a senior was not equipped to run hundred miles a week. Like the most I ever did was in the eighties. And then I started breaking down and then eventually I couldn't even do like 40 miles a week, no matter how cautiously I kind of built up or 50 miles a week. So um, I kind of learned that over time. So yeah, I would say that, you know, but that's why I kind of have so much respect as well for other athletes who do it and who give it their best shot because like the Amy Winehouse says over futile odds, that's what you're up against as a runner because there's, 
for every Stephen Scullion or Mick Clossie who makes the Olympics, there's there's about 50 guys who probably have the same talent level or some of them obviously through commitment they didn't try to but a lot more guys tried to and things just didn't work out for them so I think for most people it doesn't work out I'm one of those but I would say that when you do look back in it and you do you could easily say oh it's a shit sport you get injured you don't make any money it's a waste of time you you skip weddings you skip nights out no but I would say that the times you do look back on the things like winning schools medals or like winning kind of junior cross-country title like my best thing was probably winning the junior cross-country title and I look back on that day and I remember my brothers were there and my mom was there and all my parents and stuff and you just been with them after the finish and you just think that's that those things make it worth it and it doesn't obviously it's not that high a level or anything and you're not running the Olympics and stuff but you're just like not that for, for your own personal satisfaction you're like all the shite all the money you wasted on physios and stuff and all the kind of things you skipped to try to be good at running you think you think back on those memories and you think like yeah that was uh that was probably worth it for those moments and it's funny i was interviewing thomas Barr a few weeks ago talking about all the the mental strain of running and he was talking about like the stresses and all the crap you go through and he kind of said something similar to my coach in terms of the 95 percent line but then he said the moments you get though are so worth it like he and he said for for him it was berlin 2018 and rio 2016 the olympic final he said those two moments of my career alone if, if i did nothing else are worth all the crap all the rehab all the injuries all the slog down in the ul when it's pissing rain he said yeah. it was all it's all worth it for those moments and i think that's what that's what keeps us coming back and that's why we love it even if it often doesn't end the way we want it but firstly like enjoy it more like i know it's a hard one to say when you're striving and you're pushing and it's like if you squeeze anything too tight you'll you'll choke it so it's to have a lighter touch and allow yourself to just explore who you are through your sport um, and maybe allow yourself to reconnect with why you love the sport. What, what is it that, what's your why I suppose in why you're doing what you're doing? Like, what is it that gets you out running the roads? And just, just ask loads of questions. Why do I love this sport? Ask that question. Why, why am I in love with this? Why do I do this? Um, and, that might connect you to kind of the, the lightning in the bottle, but your sport. Um, and then I think the second thing is have other interests. Like, you know, if you're all about running, someday you're going to get injured. So just cultivate other aspects to your personality and that will help your running because you, you will be a happier, more rounded individual. Um, and then that, the, the one that I often, you know, enjoy the fight that it takes with your mind like your mind will always find a reason not to not to keep going in a race and I, looking back i say geez they were lovely little battles to win where you set your mind you know what we're not going to die here we're not going nothing's going to happen so we're going to keep going and we're going to keep going again and then when we don't think we can go anymore we're going to keep going so when, when you're on your way to win your seventh national title there, Carl Denny was on commentary and he was saying that you'd find Rory Chester at a Munster Road Race or a national championships. And um, as a teammate of yours, you you always represent Ennis Track no matter what, whatever race it is. Where does that sense of responsibility and pride come from? Oh, God. Oh, Liam. I come with the tough questions, Rory. I mean, I'm not a soft podcast here. I come with the tough ones. <laughs> I suppose it's because... Um, I sound like a GA player now. No, no ill will towards GA players, but I suppose is the is the second or third word in every sentence. It comes from my family. Um, I'm second eldest, but I would have started running, as I said, with my cousins, and then would have brought the lads with me, and I kind of, I kind of became their sort of third parent because, in some ways, not 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 to insult my parents at all you know they did a great job with all of us um there's a there's i think a four or five year age gap between me and my younger brother dara who would have run for the irish team under 23 cross country in um bulgaria so there's five years five years i think for me to dara and then six seven they're all one after the other there's seven in my family so the other five i would have kind of helped along done different things with them and sport would have been a big one for me so I'd be helping them with running with throwing a rugby ball throwing a basketball kicking a football and then I suppose like I said yeah there was the positive role models in the club 
to help me along when I was the young lad. And I suppose I became the older fella, even though I'm I'm really the older fella now. <laughs> There's guys I'm training with guys who are who are closer in age to my son than I am to them. God, I I but, feel like uh, the old fella at this stage. The sensor is I suppose it is a sense of responsibility. I feel like I, I really want to compete for Ennis Track and some of my best days in running were with Ennis Track. Like we came second or th- we came third in road relays. It was our first ever time getting a medal at road relays and that was one of the best days I ever had running because I was with my brothers, literally my brothers and my friends. And yeah, we didn't win, but you know, we're a small club, much smaller numbers than than the big clubs in Ireland and um and having the positive role models in the club kind of inspired me to be a role model. I draw from a role model, but inspired me to kind of hopefully lead by example anyway. Yeah. So then coaching in UL, was that something you did? Was coaching something you always saw yourself doing? Yeah. Um, through teaching, I suppose you kind of, you kind of branch out into, co- a lot of teachers branch out into coaching, I suppose. But um, I would have been doing, I do a lot of coaching in the school that I teach in. And I'd always thought of UL that there's something missing. There's something missing that could make UL really great in terms of distance running. Like they have it in sprinting. There's there's great sprinters being coached by Haley and Drew Harrison down there. But the same can be said for distance running in that there's no reason why you can't have the best runners in UL and spread them out a bit, you know. Like Matt Lockett is doing great work in Galway. So we can spread it out a little bit and make things a little bit more interesting that it isn't just one university winning the whole time. And it'll actually, it'll make the standard much higher because there's going to be more competition. And then that will lead to have people being able to run quicker times and more of them. And it's only going to be a positive thing. So, you know, it might give someone an option rather than go to America. Well, very few go to England, but rather than go to America or England and like, look at you well, you've got trails everywhere in every direction. You've got a nice running track. You've got I think, I think, I think ge- geographically, it's probably one of the best places to train. Yeah, it's very close. It's very central. Yeah, it's only, you know, it's maybe less than two hours from Dublin, isn't it? An hour and a half from Dublin in terms of if you're going from the, the epicenter. Um, but like in terms of Munster, it's it's one of the best places to go. I know Cork can take in a lot of people as well, but I'm just thinking in terms of facilities, like it's such a waste to have so much there and to have so few runners working together. So like the group that are there now, like we're meeting virtually, but we're meeting and we're keeping in touch and there's a solid group there, a solid core who are just, they're tipping away every day and I'm just trying to, trying to, reiterate to them that you know it's day on day just keep plugging away and if one session isn't great you know keep keep at it and like they're getting the results they're doing their we have had a few time trials in and out of various levels of cover restrictions and they're they're improving their times so we're just they're just egging to get a race you know they just want to they want to show their stuff and hopefully they get the chance yeah, so our last race in normal times was the varsity cross country. UL were second for the first time in 11 years. And it's amazing how, like, just simply bringing a group together can achieve can achieve yeah, a great yeah. result. Yeah, it was a great day, yeah. I really, it was really enjoyable, like, and um, the way you you all ran as a team, like, you know, everybody was, was working together. There was twos and threes working together and pushing through, and obviously DCU... Would have been very very difficult to beat on the day, but yeah, it was it was a great performance and it's great to see. And there's no reason why they can't keep doing it. So your coaching style then, like from all from the various coaches you've had, and from Ennis to UL to St Mary's, what's your coaching style and who is who has inspired that? Well, it's, it's kind of a a, a combined combination of of everything I've seen, I suppose, and. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, coach the athletes I coach as hard as I've trained because it's been kind of insane at times, the things I've done to myself. So I kind of, I'm definitely much more slowly, slowly with, with not, that's the wrong term, but more of a long-term approach with the people I'm kind of advising at the minute. And I'm 
I'm very positive. I'm not. I I don't think I've been. I don't think I've come down on anyone yet. I haven't been in in uh, bad form with anyone yet. The only people I've been in, in bad form with is the people who've gotten in the way when the guys are out on the trails. Um, and I just try and emphasize to them that I'm there for them. And if they need me for anything, just to contact me. And and it's kind of it's more of a it's a little bit of a collaboration at times in that I might say, do you think, what do you think, this or this? And then sometimes they might come to me and say, oh, I don't really feel, I don't really feel like doing X run. I might do this run. And I generally say, yeah, that's fine. No bother. Yeah, go with that. Because, you know, they're, they're educated young men and women and they know what they're doing as well. They just need someone to guide them and to make, put a bit of structure. If you got a bit of structure to your weeks and you keep at it, continuously you will get results and so that's the way i approach it just kind of it's, it's a bit of a collaboration i will tell them certain times no do this but sometimes it's a collaboration and i trust them and hope that they trust me too Is that bringing you back to pre-race? Pre-race. It's actually bringing back to, I think in the in the actual segment on the montage, it just goes a little bit quiet at that point, and then George Hamlet comes in and says, "It's Gillick off the last bend. It's Gillick off." <laughs> so I, I, it's bringing me back to George Hamilton's voice. But look again, it's kind of one of these things. Like you know, a lot of athletes get nerves and doubts before championships and races, and you know, I always say to like really kids that I, I, I might kind of mentor or help out is like just think back to a race think back to a moment that you excelled and get that vividly in your head and like that song brings me back to that race in, in 2007 and um, you know again I, I just kind of it was something I used a tool I used going forward so um, yeah good, good old song um, and following on from the Damien Dempsey one you can probably see my taste of music might be a little bit subdued at times um, I want to move back on to your um, post-career. So Tony Griffin on two weeks ago. Tony isn't a runner, but I knew he'd have some good insights. He said, um, when talking about runners and giving advice, he said, have other interests. If you're all about running, someday you're going to get injured. Does that resonate with you? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, nail on the head. It's very important to have other interests and just other kind of things going on in your life. I think if you, like any walk of life, if you put all your eggs into one basket and the basket breaks, you can be left very, very isolated. So talk us through, was there an identity crisis then when you, like, talk us through that when you came back and then didn't really know what you were doing? Yeah, like, well, it probably all kind of happened quite quick, you know. It's, like, another injury. Um, I'd lost all kind of sponsors and funding. Um, you know, you're beginning to kind of go, right, like, to continue doing what I'm doing, I'm going to have to dip into savings. You know, I have nothing coming in here. And then, to be honest, it was just like, I just, I just can't put my body through this again right i'm done and um i think the, the thing was I, I felt ready to do it i felt okay yeah i'm content i've had a good career like one of the, the biggest things i made a promise with myself in 2006 that i was going to get to the age of 30 and i was going to look in the mirror and i was going to say to myself right david you've given it a go and i was now 30 and to be honest i gave it a good out rattle and you know i felt i i, I made opportunities and I did everything I could but at that moment it was time to move on and um, the reality was different though this is the thing you kind of think yeah yeah I can do this and I can move on and people are always like oh, I got the world at your feet and you can do this and you can do that then you wake up on a Monday morning and you think what am I going to do with the rest of my life I've no clue do I need to go training no do I can I go out and have a regular beer yeah I can and nobody's going to question it and um, what do I want to achieve I don't know because the challenge was that in athletics, like you're always working towards something. You're always working towards that goal, a championship, a time. And you're very routine-based. You know, you've got to get your miles in. You've got to get your training sessions. So your whole week is dictated about when you go training. So for me, six days a week, one day off, that was what I've, I was doing for probably the last, like, 15 years of my life. And then you wake up on a, on a September morning where you're thinking, I'd usually be starting my training again for the year ahead, and it's not there. 
And I struggled with that. I struggled with the lack of routine, the lack of a purpose, the lack of a goal. Um, then I was like, well, what am I actually, what are my interests? I was a runner. Now what am I? Yeah. And not having, not really allowing myself to kind of explore probably over the previous years, I was now in a position where I didn't really know. I didn't know what my skills or expertise was. And look, I, I've studied, I have a degree, I got a master's and all that, but I was still a bit like, well, what do I want to do? And I can remember waking up like on a Saturday morning and uh, turning to Charlotte and going, what do normal people do on a Saturday morning? <laughs> because for so many years, I was out training on a Saturday morning, you know, and Tuesday was my big session of the week and kind of things revolved off that. Now I was kind of waking up and just going, I don't need to be anywhere. And I found that weird. And I kind of struggled off the back of that. Then it was like, right, I need to get a job. So I got a job and I got a job very easily. Um, and I was still kind of a little bit involved in the sport as a result of it, but it wasn't fulfilling. I wasn't content. And that's where I suppose a lot of the, the kind of frustration and anger began to kind of fester because I wasn't happy. I simply wasn't happy. And even though, you know, I walked into a job that had good money and all that, but like, I thought it was all about that. I thought, right, to be happy, I need money. Like money, money will be it. So I went chasing the dollar, you know, and um, it, it was never f fulfilling. And, I struggled that year. Then I got a new job. And again, it was the same scenario where it just, I was going around in circles. And I suppose the internal battle was I was always searching for something that would fill that void. Like I'll do this or I'll do that or I'll do that. And you're constantly going from one to the other, one for the other. And um, I think, you know, like I stopped exercising Um, I went back and I dabbled a little bit in GAA. Um, and it was more just to kind of do something different. And I, again, none of it was fulfilling. It was kind of, when I look back now, I was lost. I was so lost for probably almost three years. And again, I, I kind of disconnected. So once my athletics was over, I disconnected from all those people. You know, I wasn't in touch with my coach, the training group, um, you know, some of the, my teammates that I, I, I roomed with and stuff like that. I completely just cut the cord. And I found it really hard to talk to people about athletics. And as a result of that, I just didn't talk. Uh, I just didn't want, and you know, you talk about identity as well. I began to kind of disengage from friends and family because I didn't want all the questions. I didn't want to like, oh, what are you doing next, David? What are you going to do now? Or did you see your man who ran fast last week? It's like, oh, get me away from this. Um, so I just just stayed in the house really, you know? And and then look, you know, I've been open and honest. My, my kind of mental health deteriorated. Um, I wasn't doing the things that, I was doing for years, running, exercising, resting well, um, like the simple things. I just went the complete opposite. I was up late. I was always tired. I was always cranky. I began to comfort eat. Domino's pizza. Every Tuesday, uh, Domino's pizza used to do two pizzas for the price of one. So I'd be straight on the blower. Give us two large pizzas and a tub of Ben and Jerry's and I'd just do the dog on it. And then it was like a couple of beers at the weekend and you know, you're hung over on a Sunday and it's just like, oh, who cares? I don't need to be anywhere, you know? And it's, you know, it, it just, it just kind of manifested and kind of spiraled into depression really, you know? And, and that's where I was. And I wasn't talking either. Like that was the biggest thing for someone who was very much routine based, always had a goal, was always motivated, would always be looking for that constructive feedback from my coaches um, and a team around me. I didn't do any of that. I stopped talking. So, um, yeah, it just felt very kind of isolated and I struggled with that. I went from job, packing the job, got a new job. And um, yeah, like it, it wasn't a great time. Um, but the positive is that it got to a point where um, I kind of realized, Jesus, I, I need a bit of help here, you know. And that was when we were, I got married in this time as well. You know, so all these positive things were going on in my life. But yeah, I just, I just couldn't let go of um, my athletics. And I'd never debriefed. I'd never spoken about it. I literally went from, I'm retiring. Two days, two weeks later, I started a job and I was sitting at an office, on an office desk at a computer. And I can remember think, thinking, Jesus, like, how have I got here? What the hell's happening? And, you know, the funny thing was, like, and, you know, people just knew me as the new guy. And then they were like, oh, you used to run, did you? You know, it, like, and that was it. Yeah, yeah, I used to run, like, you know. Might as well be just a park runner, you know? And that was yeah. it. it. Like, nobody cared. And, and like, it's not saying that I think people should have cared. They shouldn't have, you know? But it was just, you've gone from such an intense environment 
to like literally now it's just like nothing and that's the way it felt it was just nothing. you thought it meant the world and then the world didn't think much of it and that's one big thing i learned right like the world just keeps spinning you know and everyone's got their own stuff going on and i think you know sometimes in elite sport you think that it is the biggest thing and the most important thing in the whole wide world and it's everyone else it's their important thing too and it's not and that was probably a bit of a learning curve i just finished a book it's called the empire depression and it's this he's a psychiatrist and the whole book is basically about like what's the difference between feeling bad and being actually depressed are you able to describe how that feels like the difference between just having a bad day and then the feeling of like a full-blown illness yeah like you know i'll be honest with you there was times where i just thought it was just this transition phase that i'd heard about and i'd read about and you know it happens people and i used to kind of kept keep saying to myself like oh, it's just transition like it, it, it'll be all okay it'll all be okay and then what i found was it was just it was every day um it wasn't just one day or like one week in the month it was it was simply every single day and i began having kind of panic attacks just c- completely overwhelmed and not really it was like the best way to describe now as a parent is like when you're when your two-year-old has a tantrum you know they can't really articulate what they're feeling or what they're trying to say so they have a tantrum and that was the way it felt for me i was completely and utterly overwhelmed i couldn't sleep and i just couldn't pick myself up and the biggest, the scariest thing was that, you know, I knew I was depressed, but I didn't know what to do with it. And then what happened, I began having some really kind of negative thoughts. Like, you know, that I just, I just didn't want to be around anymore. I just didn't want to deal with this internal battle every single day, you know, and that, that was, that was the, the constant fight going on in my head. It was just the two Davids just going hammer and tongs every single day. You're an idiot you should have done this you should have done that and like that was my that was my reality every single day and i think for me that's the difference with just having a day to to feel depressed and and and, and suicidal at times you know because it just gets so much that you just i just wanted to quieten that voice inside my head and i know look this is dark and this is kind of this might be hard listening for a lot of people but to be honest this is the reality of a mental health crisis and i'm sure like it's probably i think people are struggling i think more people are struggling than we actually realize now absolutely probably, probably absolutely. need to hear. like and to be honest like I, I didn't it took me a long time to admit that i was depressed and to admit that i needed help i used to literally firefight right i'd have this constant arguments going on in my head and i'd be berating myself i'd be in the car and the job that i was doing i was spending an awful lot of time by myself i was driving the length and breadth of the country and this is this is no lie. Like I used to drive. It was one day I had to go all the way down to uh, Tralee and back in a day, and I didn't listen to any radio stations. I didn't listen to any podcast, Spotify. All I listened to was me in my head, absolutely berating myself and telling myself how useless I was. And that was a regular occurrence. That could have been every day. So you're coming home in the evening time, and you know you're just. The, the person closest to me, obviously, was my wife, Charlotte. Like she saw the reality of it, you know, but I put on the mask. Every day I get up, I put on this mask and I go out and I'll be that jovial person. And, you know, yeah, how's it going? Yeah, I'm David. Yeah, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Everything's all great. You get into a car, you go home, the mask comes off. And that was just, that was just the hard part of it. But I used to firefight till a Friday. Saturday, I was okay on a Saturday because... I kind of felt like, well, everyone else is having a Saturday, so I can kind of take the foot off the pedal, you know, whereas Monday to Friday, it had to be more and more and more. Give me more and more and more. I need to be successful. I need to be successful. Blah, blah, blah. Pressure, pressure, pressure. And then Sunday was the worst day of the week because I dreaded a Monday. I absolutely yeah. dreaded a Monday. Um, and like I said, that went on for that went on for nearly three years, you know. It was, uh, I was, it was grim. It was horrible. But do you feel like it was almost a trade-off between having being so unbalanced in your athletics career and having achieved all that you did, that was almost a trade-off that you had to fall that low from being so high. Yeah. I think, you know, when I look back at it, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's the way I kind of was as a person. I was, I, there was times I was probably very intense uh, in terms of my, my athletics. Um, I was a perfectionist. I always, always wanted perfection. Uh, in everything that I did, be it cooking a meal, be it my rest, recovery, my training, 
you know, like if one rep got away, and now I'm talking, let's say, for example, you know, six by 300, and I'm banging these out at world-class times. If one was 0.1 out of my target time, that used to eat me up for the whole week. It would, it would dictate my mood and everything. Um, and I probably was never, never learned to really kind of relax and unwind and flick the off switch. And I think that can have an impact on longevity and, and also I, I believe in terms of your physical longevity in a sport, you know, cause you're the stress hormones, et cetera. And I, I think the way I was that there was always going to be this massive come down and I, I didn't prepare myself for it. I, I didn't kind of look for help or advice around that exit plan or that transition. Um, I just kind of thought it'll be all all right. I brush under the carpet, you move on. That's what you do. Um, and I think like, you know, advice for the next generation is to have that exit plan. Like, what are you going to do when it all ends? Because it will end and it might end sooner than you think. So what are your other in- interests? What do you want to do? Are, are you able to flip the off switch? Can you, do you have boundaries around your work and your personal life? You know, and I'm talking about work as my sport. Um, the boundaries were blurred and it was a lifestyle. It was 24 seven. And I think, you know, there was always going to be a big crash at the end and um, it happened. It happened. And look, it, it, it was a tough time, but I think you got to look at the positives. I got to look at kind of, you know, how I've come through that and where I am now. It took time. It took an awful lot of work. It's still something that I work on. I still um, go to a counselor. I go to a counselor um, once or twice a month. I go to the gym. I go running. I go to a counselor. And it's that stigma that is still around. And I think the more we have open conversations about the reality of career-ending injuries, loss of form, transition, and the more we have a conversation about it, the more we help to remove that stigma, particularly being a male. Because... It's always stronger, faster, fitter. You want more, you want more, you want more. It's performance. It's all this sort of words that we now use. But there's a human side to it as well that that's not going to last forever. And I think, um, you know, by, by just trying to help remove that stigma might give someone just that confidence to speak up. And that's exactly what happened to me. I heard someone talk and I remember thinking, that's me. That's me. I feel like that. I can relate to that. And... Mm. That for that forced me, but it made me talk to that person in particular. And then from there, I I was pointed in various directions and, and I went on my own journey. But again, it's just hearing stories and kind of that resonated with me, enabled me and gave me the confidence to think that, you know, well, I'm not the only one like this. Uh, other people have gone through this and come out the other side. And that was it. So I picked this one because in it, she is kind of talking about how she was always like, she always wanted to make it big as a singer and she's kind of saying now she's finally on the radio and one there's a line in it that says uh American dreams came true somehow I swore I'd chase until I was dead and I guess I was listening to this in Portugal I was driving in my rented car and training camp this year and I just like really listened to it and I was like hold on a second like I just kind of had a reflective moment being like do you know what I'm getting there because me as an athlete I'm always looking forward and forward and how can I be better and I'm as I said there earlier I'm like oh well you know two minutes is good but I'm being beaten by so much by people who are running 158 159 but I in that moment listening to radio I was like I had a reflective moment I said like do you know what you are living the dream to some extent like traveling around to the best races in the world sponsored by Adidas running faster than I ever thought I would so I guess I was appreciating it and kind of feeling similar I guess to Lana in a way so that's why I chose this song Not even they can stop me now Would I be flying overhead The heavy words can't bring me down Why I've been raised from the dead Sweet, they should have been the more, yeah Baby, love me cause I'm playing 
So in November, I tuned into your Athletics Ireland Standing Proud webinar. How did that come about? Oh, yeah, I suppose. Uh, so I, I suppose I would be fairly vocal um, with with being um, being LGBT um, kind of on my social media and all of that. Um, I'm, I'd be quite involved with um, the community centre here in Cork, um, Link, um, which caters for lesbian, bisexual women in Cork. Um, and it was Athletics Ireland that got in touch with me to say that they were kind of partnering with Sporting Pride. So they do kind of, uh, you know, promoting sport in, in the LGBT community. And, um, you know, um, it was Liliana O'Hora from, from Athletics Ireland yeah. who got in touch. She said, look, you know, I know, you know, you're LGBT and, you know, you, you'd fit in really well here. Um, to kind of be um, an ambassador for this and would I be interested and you know it's 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 a great thing to be a part of I think I think it's really important um, you know if, if you're comfortable with it to to be out there and you know speak about your experiences especially for young people who um, you know might be coming to terms with it themselves. I read Ina Reardon said it was like the, it was the first elite athlete to campaign on the issue did you find that surprising? Um, like in a way, not really. Um, no, I mean, I know there, there are other LGBT athletes out there, um, but it's kind of people tend to stay quiet about it. Um, and, and I suppose there's probably a lot of reasons for that, you know, um, I suppose being, you know, high up in, in their sport, um, they just want to focus on that. And I suppose any negativity or anything outside of that does creep into the sport. So that's always something to be aware of. Um, so it wasn't hugely surprising. Um, for me, I just think I, I suppose um, the fact that I was out before, I suppose I really got into being an elite athlete maybe helped, you know, um, rather than it being the other way around, if that makes sense. I think a lot of it was, you know, I was fueled, we talked about kind of earlier on, kind of like despite that fueled me to run. Mm. And that fueled me. And then I got to a certain point where like, I wanted to exercise that. So like I got, a, I got to a point where I couldn't enough. An external motivation all the time. Yeah. And it was never, we talked about kind of intrinsic motivation. I was always motivated to kind of like prove myself. Mm. I thought that once I did that, Eureka, I'd be happy and it'll all be fine. And I got to that pinnacle and I was like, no, like I've like kind of created bad relationships for myself with friends and everything because I've just been so driven onto this. I've suppressed probably a lot of what I should have been dealing with earlier in my life. And then I kind of thought that running would be the answer. And then when I got to the point where I was good, it wasn't the answer. And then I was sort of like, shit, if this isn't the answer, what is? Yeah, was there, is there an identity crisis then? Like as we talked about at the start, like figuring out like, okay, who the fuck am I? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I've been like the runner and then how can you be the runner but also not enjoy like your success that you're having in it? Mm. Like people are going to get annoyed at you if you turn around and say, I actually don't enjoy this stuff. Or not, not, it's, not, it's never that I didn't enjoy it. Like I always like, it was almost kind of the one non-negotiable I had when I was talking to my therapist. Like I'm not giving up running. Like that's not happening. Yeah. I'm going to, because I know, because I knew from when I was younger that I can enjoy running. I can feel a great fulfillment from it. And then, yeah, it just became trying to work out exactly how I could reorientate the rest of my life to 
enjoy running has a very key element of who I am because I'm a very competitive person. I enjoy running. I enjoy like competing is my favorite, like racing is my favorite thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. So it's me trying to work that all out. I have a quote here. Um, study in 2016 found track and field athletes have the highest rate of depression among US collegiate sports with 37% of women and 25% of men reporting depressive symptoms. So do you think like people that are prone to depression end up running or is it born out of running and competing? Um, I think, I mean, it's certainly a case of both. I mean, I think like running tends to lead itself to, I mean, if you think about like your stereotypical long distance runner is probably more introverted, probably more likely to not exactly discuss their, like discuss talk openly about things, probably more likely to bury things. Again, like it is like not that like, every something I'm phrase is probably like of a self-harm point of view of like running is just constantly hurting yourself to get better yeah like constantly training is just hurting yourself so that you recover stronger and get better which a lot of people find very cathartic benefit in and whether that is why they are more prone to depression or I mean again I like also because I've done in my master's done a lot of research on mental health in endurance athletes and a lot of it comes down to like endurance athletes are at the top of the pyramid in terms of likelihood of developing mental health issues more so in team sports more so in anything else angle off again you know it's a brutal sport you're on your own you're doing the same thing all the time quite like to get injured because of it there's no like money or glamour in it that can kind of like offset the negatives of the environment for the vast, vast majority of people. So it kind of makes sense that, you know, unfortunately, when you add up all the factors of it. Is, it's, it, is it a big thing or just attaching yourself or to the time and your results and performance? Yeah, there's, I mean, there is almost like, and again, the better you get, the more you attach your identity and your self-worth to the clock. And it's not like, like if you have a bad race, you lose. If you play badly in a football match, you might still win. Mm. Or the team might carry you through or something might happen and it might not. And it's also not entirely about you. You could play a brilliant match in football and your team let you down and you lose, but you can still say, look, I did my best. Whereas mm. in running, if you run badly, it is on you. And when you run well, it's on you too. But that, that is a trade-off you have to take. Like it's the most brutally simplistic sport in that regard. That's not even like in a bike race, if you puncture... Uh, mechanical something else, like it is you at the end of the day against yourself for the most part so you get to claim all the credit but also when you identify heavily as an athlete you do have to take the downside of yeah this is like i didn't perform well today so what me- what mechanisms have you in place now to kind of keep yourself keep yourself in check keep on top of it i think just like being more honest with myself and this is something again i kind of learned why being a full-time athlete wasn't very good for me like if i when i was working if i had like a bad day at work i was exhausted i would just take a day off like i just would run for a day maybe two mm. whereas when you're a full-time athlete you can't like i didn't feel i could do that so again just fe- feeds into that guilt so i just kind of I mean like most of just about looking after yourself and that's almost like where <laughs> the one-man book club actually stemmed out of yeah. Like, as I tried, really, like, one thing I enjoy is it's like being able to go to somewhere quiet, have a drink, and read my book and yeah. not have to run too much. Like, I just like, like there's a place you used to go to in Dublin called Probe, which is no longer there. Like, that was like my favorite place to go. Like, that was like always like my mental health routine. Like, if I just get through the day, if I go somewhere at lunchtime, I can just go there tonight. And I mean, people would worry about like self-medicating and all that with alcohol but I just found like it was just that contemplative space where you've only read 10 pages but just sat in this environment and could think and just be with myself and enjoy it like that's the one where like the book club became justification for drinking on myself on my own simple pleasures yeah exactly it made it made it more socially acceptable it's not just me drinking alone I'm doing it for an artistic purpose but uh, there's, there's a good quote that article in your in your fast running article you referenced another article from the father of a teammate of yours that um, committed suicide and it says it was based on the whole Prefontaine quote of um, what's the what's the original quote? You've anything less than your best and sacrifice the gift. Yeah, and he's he's taken it as strive to be your best but accept yourself for who you are. 
think that's a much better approach. Yeah, I mean, like that. I mean, like obviously, Hale died just after I came back, so it was October 2016. So like, he'd been on team with me for two or three years, and like that, obviously, with that year, I'm like almost like a between him and then when Grant or Scott Hutchinson died, I was like, no, like I can see, like almost see the garden path I'm going down here if I don't fully like actually then like come out and be open about this to myself and everyone around me and say like no look like i need to address this and make people aware of it in myself because if i don't it can go it can go you know the ultimate end yeah that was a great article um and then you did your thesis on men you did a master's while you were in water you did a thesis on mental health training amongst coaches was that it yeah so it's all about mental health literacy of irish endurance coaches what were your what were your findings um that we have a lot of good passionate coaches in the country who have received almost zero education in mental health literacy like a lot of coaches have had athletes come to them and like seeking help saying look you know between depression previous anxiety eating disorders like a whole plethora of them and essentially it's like from a life hour point of view like there, all the coaching education platforms just do not address this. And yeah. all the educa- all the documents you read about it said, like, if you are a coach, you will be dealing with athletes who have mental health issues. And just trying to then put in place education. All the coaches said, look, yeah, we'd love, because I mean, these are volunteer coaches yeah. who would love to have these programs in place where, like, just, just to know, they say so it's not taboo so you can actually ask the open question and if somebody answers you in a certain way you know okay here's how to help this not be a counselor not but you like here is a counselor here is a sports psychologist here is somebody to talk to and not just like a list of phone numbers but actually like i'll book an appointment with that person for you if you don't like if you're okay with that like actually just have that ability to like provide care for an athlete who's struggling because coaches want it coaches want to be able to provide care i i don't know man and we it's funny, like the way things happen too. Like, you know, things just happen, don't they? Like, you know, we we plan and plan and plan. And when I look at that, how everything has turned out, anyway, it's like a phone rings and there's an opportunity in the end of it. Like, you know, it's it, that's what's going to happen, and it that's what's always happened. So all you can do is make the most of where you're at, and then just you know let things happen from there. Some good life advice to end on. Christmas will break your heart. And there's no one on your phone You feel close enough to call Christmas will crush your soul Like that laid-back rock and roll But your body's getting old It's much too tired Christmas can wreck your head Like some listless, awkward sex So you refuse to leave your bed And get depressed when no one checks Yeah, Christmas will break your heart Like the armies of the unrelenting dark
your heart would melt with time. 